I'm Chris Sharp, and we're here with another episode of Sharp Takes. This is one we've been wanting to do for a while. We got Ryan Hewer joining me, and we're talking about one of the most important movies of our entire childhood, one of our favorite movie franchises of all time, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Hope you enjoy. Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, came out in 2005. It had a budget of $113 million, and it made $868.4 million in the U.S. Um, per weekly announcement, if you haven't seen this one especially, then I don't know what the hell you were doing in 2005, but you should have been watching Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. It's the best of the prequels, and we love it. But the plot basically is you kind of start with a giant space battle, the war between the Separatists and the Republic is kind of winding down. Anakin and uh, Obi-Wan getting the coolest space battle probably of all time. Um, come back. Anakin's really starting to get seduced to the dark side by Palpatine, who people are starting to sense there might be more going on there. Um, Anakin, breaking news, eventually caves and becomes Darth Vader. Uh, has to fight Obi-Wan while Yoda fights Darth Sidious. Probably the coolest fight scene like combo in any Star Wars movie. And, you know, at the end, you get the inevitable. Anakin becomes Darth Vader. And uh, you should go check it out. So I'm here with Ryan Hewer. Ryan, why do we love this movie so much? Um, first, I want to say thanks for having me back on the show. I'm glad I, glad I made it back. Um, I'm going to try to be as, as untoxic as possible. Try not to mention I love this movie. I'm going to try not to mention the sequels or how, how much I dislike those. Or the first so, two prequels. What? Or the first two prequels, how much we hate those. Yeah, yeah. We'll get into so, it. So, why do I love this movie? Um, to me, like, Star Wars was my childhood. I, like, just have so many fond memories of playing with, like, me and my brothers with, like, our action figure collections, like, setting them up and... and dueling each other when we were little kids and <laughs> and having so much fun with that and and Revenge of the Sith came out when I was like 12 probably and so it just was like kind of the culmination of my childhood love for Star Wars and it and I just remember being in the theater and it being like everything I could have hoped for and it's always going to leave a really positive memory in my mind whether it be thinking of cringe, cringy prequel memes and loving those for what they are or just or just the iconic characters and and seeing what we expected to happen all this time and seeing how it unfolded. Yeah, dude, it was so cool because we grew up and I had the VHS of all the originals and I loved those. You know, Return of the Jedi, Empire Strikes Back, A New Hope. Watched it all the time with my dad. And then Phantom Menace came out in 99, so I was four. And I remember getting the VHS at Blockbuster with my dad and watching Phantom Menace. And I thought it was sick. I didn't I didn't know that it was terrible. But I was just like, oh my god, new Star Wars. Like, it was so cool. And then Attack of the Clones comes out. And this comes out when I'm 10. And it, like you said, it hits us at the perfect age. And it was just, the second they're in space for that battle, I was like, it was visually the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Yeah, it was a, it was a very long space battle intro. But when they, when they are flying over the, the Republic capital ship, the Venator, and they dive down and it reveals all the dog fighting going on underneath the, the ship it, that was an incredible visual the, the visual it, it was truly where the fun begins it's aged pretty well oh nice nice little <laughs> reference there um 
there's so it's aged pretty well like i watched it and i was like oh wow like the cgi i mean it's not as good as it is but it's aged pretty well yeah yeah i it's definitely got rewatchability i don't know if it's the nostalgia or if it's true if it truly does hold up but it definitely um it definitely is my favorite prequel that's for sure and probably still my favorite star wars movie what do you think it's what do you think it got on rotten tomatoes what do you think they gave it on rotten tomatoes i don't know probably critic score probably got like 50s oh no 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 80 percent really 80 percent audience score 66 percent the critics liked it more than the audience wow that's shocking dude it doesn't make any sense Keep your toxic sequel shit out of my podcast. That was completely objective, bro. (laughs) Dude, I just think it just can't be understated how you know what's going to happen, which is such a weird thing. You know Anakin becomes Darth Vader, and you're just... Every time I watch it, for some reason, it still rips my heart out. Every time I'm like, maybe he won't fuck it up. Yeah, exactly. Me too. Yeah, and that was the such the such a unique thing about it because it led to so much speculation like going in and where I think I got disappointed by The Last Jedi is I liked The Force Awakens so much and I had so much anticipation for it and I like had all these theories but none of them happened but in Revenge of the Sith you knew exactly what was going to happen so you were thinking all this time about how is it going to happen and then and then because like I remember talking to my brother like oh like how like all the jedi are gonna die like how's mace gonna die is is boba fett gonna kill him for revenge on for his father or something like so it was just so fun going in thinking of all that stuff and i hated i hate a lot about what hayden christensen does especially in attack of the clones one of the worst performances i've ever seen but he kind of he does all right in this there's so little him and Padme that it makes it almost okay. Like they're not. I whenever him and Padme are together, I just ugh, I just get icky, icky vibes. Yeah. But when they're separated, Hayden's doing all right. He's not being as much of a as much of a bitch as he was in Attack of the Clones. Yeah, I I definitely liked his performance a lot better in this. I think. I think he's a good actor. I think he was more a victim of really poor dialogue, which which then reflects on him, even if it's not his fault. I hate sand. But, it's coarse and it gets in everything. Yeah, and then the worst is when, at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith, when he's, like, just staring at her on the balcony, and he's, like, and he's, like, I'm, I'm so, so in love so with beautiful you. because I'm so in love with you. And then Padme's, like, so love has blinded you. It's, like, it's the worst, worst dialogue. Dialogue in the in the in the film. It's in my opinion. it's so him and Padme like Natalie Portman's a good actress. You know, I feel so bad for her and him that they had to read that shit. It's could they just have improvised some stuff and been like, does George yeah. Lucas think that's what people in love talk like? Have you ever gone up to your wife and been like, I'm so in love with you and you look so beautiful because I'm so in love with you? Yeah, Mrs. Mrs. Lucas gets gets a lot of that really romantic talk from George, I guess. He is the worst at writing dialogue, but what saves this movie is how fucking amazing the action is, and there are a couple good action lines, you know? Oh, yeah, like, what do you like? So, let's see, I'll just hop into favorite line. So, basically, the entire fight scene 
with Anakin and Obi-Wan at the end, everything they're giving to each other back, that dialogue right after he chokes out Padme and he, you realize that Obi-Wan's on the ship and he's like, you turned her against me. You have done that yourself. That entire exchange is fucking gold. Yeah, for my favorite line, I said um, just the whole Anakin's, Anakin's burning in the magma and Obi-Wan's entire monologue just telling him he loves him and telling him, you're my brother, Anakin, and realizing his failure. And you just like, it's so powerful. And you just, you just ache, your heart aches with him. Ewan McGregor throwing a hundred miles per hour in that scene. Just the pain. Yeah. Where he's like, you were the chosen one. And it's like, you believe that he just lost a brother, son, like, and he realized it was his fault. You know, he fucked up. He thought he could do this thing yeah. and he couldn't. Because he realizes he failed not only Qui-Gon, his master, but he failed the entire Jedi Order. And he failed himself. And Anakin really was his, his all the family he had. You know, Jedi are taken from their family at from a very young age and they, they're encouraged not to develop any bonds with anyone that can because it can lead to the dark side you know and he developed this bond with Anakin and he was really his only family it's just heartbreaking yeah I I just think that everything that's happening on Mustafar is just gold because even Natalie Portman's stuff where Anakin you're breaking my heart that's pretty good yeah for sure, uh, especially especially right when Anakin as Vader arrives on Mustafar and just wipes out the the remnants of the uh, the Trade Federation. Yeah, he just is just the raw power of Vader at his at his most powerful before he's obviously maimed and loses so much of his ability. But it gives us a glimpse into like what. A Vader would have been like that defeated Obi-Wan and didn't, didn't get maimed. Yeah, it's really cool because that's the best part of the prequels because when A New Hope comes out, it's Darth Vader's powerful, but the lightsaber shit is so, you know, it's just not there. Where yeah. the lightsaber battles between Yoda and Darth Sidious while Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan and Prime Obi-Wan versus Prime Anakin is the coolest lightsaber battle that'll probably ever exist. Yeah. Because the whole thing with the Darth Sidious Yoda one is they're almost, it's way more force driven. Hey, I'm going to shoot lightning at you. We're throwing shit. It's not really lightsaber as much as, hey, what's our knowledge of the force like? Yeah, that's a really cool perspective that I hadn't like thought of because they're both, Yoda's the grandmaster and obviously Palpatine is the, is the one true Sith in the galaxy at that point and they both have such a knowledge of both sides of the force and that's what they kind of used to fight each other so that's really cool what's up what's what's up with mace windu's ass you know he is such a dick <laughs> to anakin and i every time i watch him into sith i just think what if mace would have just not been a prick to anakin and just been nice because anakin yeah. kills him to save Darsidious and padme essentially but i feel like part of him goes hey asshole who you were a dick to me all these years Payback's a bitch. <laughs> well, I mean, Mace, it, like, you gotta give some, you gotta give some tough love at some point, you know. Like Mace is not, he's got huge problems trying to lead the Jedi Council, and he can't be bothered with this little hotshot chosen one that shows up out of nowhere, and everyone is already anointed him, you know. 
but the, I was going to get into this with like final thoughts, but that was one of the most heartbreaking moments of the movie when you, when you watch it back. When Anakin tells him about Palpatine, Mace says, like, wait in the chambers and wait for me until I return. And, like, if what you've told me is true, you'll have gained my trust. Like, all I think of is, he'll, he says you'll have gained my trust, wait for me in the chambers. Like, he was going to make him a Jedi Master if he went and defeated Palpatine. Like, he was going to gonna do if Anakin didn't intervene. You know, the crazy thing, it's, it's that old adage about, one often confronts their destiny on the road taken to avoid it. And um, Anakin's trying to avoid his the destiny he thinks for Padme dying. And the irony yeah. being that, you know, she's going to live and he's just been polluted to think this thing because of the loss of his mother and his attachment, which I think a really interesting scene, and I guess we can get into scenes and kind of just talk through some of our favorites, but I think a really interesting scene is when Anakin goes up to Yoda and he says, hey, I'm trying to figure this shit out. I'm, help me. And Yoda basically doesn't do shit. and just to fuck off, yeah. Yeah, he's like, hey, learn to let go. Miss not, whatever he says. Miss not, fear not. They're going to go yeah. join the force and you can't do anything. And you see Anakin's face. It's, why is no one, how, and second thing, a part of that is, how does no one realize that Anakin is living with this senator? No one notices they share an apartment. They're like, where's uh, Anakin going? I don't know, you know, he's just kind of, he lives off in the city somewhere. No one knows? Obi-Wan for sure knew. He's just a huge bro. Yeah, because Obi-Wan immediately goes to Padme and it's like, where's Anakin? And yeah. is everyone just cool because Anakin's so powerful that it's, Whatever, he can have a little fun. We won't, but wink, wink, nod, nod. And no one's wondering why the senator's pregnant and who the unwed senator in the Old Republic is pregnant. That Fox News would be having a field day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and going back to the Yoda scene, like, it's it's like that saying that, like, the, village, the child that's rejected by the village will burn it down to feel its warmth. Like, that's what I feel like is going on with Anakin. Like, he's, he, like you said, he's, has nowhere to turn he's like going anywhere he can like trying to get help like like goes to yoda like and turned away and like obi-wan tells him to like push down his feelings too and it's like he can't he can't turn anywhere for help and then palpatine presents another path and he can't turn it down pretty pretty badass scene where palpatine and anakin are at i don't know star wars opera and uh (laughs) They're sitting there, and he's like, you ever heard the tale of Dark Plagueis the Wise? And that entire, that's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, I love, I love all the scenes with Ian McDermott and Hayden Christensen. They're so, they do, they do so well together. And my, I guess I can get into it. My favorite scene was him right after he defeats Mace and Palpatine is all disfigured. And Anakin gets down on his knees, and and he officially becomes Sidious's apprentice, and he officially becomes Vader. I thought that scene, and then the subsequent like Hayden's performance was so good, like had so much power. And then as soon as he rises, and he says, and he's now Darth Vader, like his mood just completely shifts, and he talks like Hayden talks really slow and in low tones, just like Vader does in the original trilogy. And it's like he's truly like become a different person. And his like, eyes, the eyes change color. 
Yeah, like I saw I saw a video comparing like the cadence of his speech when he says like what about the like when he's like what about the other Jedi throughout the galaxy or, or something like that to Palpatine right before he sends him back to the temple, and it's like the exact cadence that David Prowse t- spoke as Darth Vader in the original trilogy. It's just really cool how he like how he changed up his performance to to match Vader. Yeah, I really love I really love when he's on his knees and it's just how Hayden selling such I give myself. It looks like he's just completely been broken and he's just yeah. just help me save Padme. And you really feel it in the body acting of he's on his knees and he's kind of slouched he's and and he looks so weak compared to, you know, Palpatine and just kind of that dynamic I think also of cuz we know from the, you know, we know from the original trilogy that he never overtakes. He ne- his plan never materializes. That he talks to Padme about, where he wants to overtake Padme. I'm stronger than him, and you realize yeah. in that scene, kind of the power dynamic between them. I think visually and symbolically is really powerful. Where he's on his knees and Sidious is kind of pulling the strings, and it never changes, which is really crazy because Anakin in Rogue One, you see how powerful Prime Vader is, even you know post accident. So it's really crazy that. He never really follows through with that plan. Yeah, I think Palpatine. I think Obi Wan maiming him destroyed any chance of that because he he was never going to get any any more powerful. And I think Palpatine knew that too, which is interesting because this like historically since the rule of two, according to lore, was established, like all masters knew their apprentice would betray them and overtake them, and like. I'm I'm so curious what Palpatine felt about that. Like he knew if Vader wasn't had reached his full power, he had to have known that he would have taken him out. And but like Palpatine doesn't seem like just like he would be okay with that. Like he was so obsessed with complete galactic domination. Like he he doesn't seem like the kind of Sith that would be like, oh, okay, well my apprentice is supposed to destroy me. That so I'll, I've had a good run. Like, so, if, if Vader hadn't been maimed by Obi-Wan, I would have been really interested to see the conflict between them as Palpatine would have tried to defend himself. Because Palpatine's... you got to give Anakin the edge with just pure force athleticism, basically. And then you got to give it to Palpatine in terms of force. Like, no, it's the old basketball player. Like, it's old MJ versus young MJ. Where old MJ's going to post you up and he knows... He's just going to score where old MJ's flying through the air and doing all these athletic things. And they're both really interesting in their own ways. And I feel like that's my... It'd be like you said. It'd be really interesting to see that fight of Anakin and what Anakin's trajectory. If he becomes on the Jedi Council, you know, and he doesn't... If he helps defeat Palpatine and now the Jedi are this really powerful entity and if the plan Yoda and Windu takes place happens where the Jedi basically become a political body that's running the galaxy. Do the Jedi become absolutely corrupt? I'm interested by that. I think they already were corrupt for those reasons, but what I'm interested in is, like, if if, if Anakin even stays on the council at that point, like, if, or obviously joins the council and then stays, but, like... If that were to happen, would he just completely break off from them and, like, just retire with Padme and Luke and Leia, like, in the countryside in Naboo? Like, because Padme was already starting to question, like, the, the Jedi's 
not their loyalty, but if they were, if they were like all good, because she was like talking about like, are we on, are we even on the right side? And yeah, she starts. Like she, you're starting to sound like a separatist. That was another thing I love because when she when she tells him when she's like, you're closer to the chancellor than anyone. Like, talk to talk to him about like trying to let diplomacy resume. He like wags his finger in her face exactly like Vader does in A New Hope, and I love that. Oh, I never noticed that. That's very true. Nice yeah. catch. Yeah, I uh. It's really, really interesting, and you could play like what if all day with this movie, but I just love the idea of he just be him just being on the Jedi Council and finally gaining the trust, like you said, and coming to fruition. Because the the most heartbreaking thing I think is, and we haven't talked about this, but right when Obi Wan gets sent to go get, you know, uh, Grievous, yeah, and. Why they don't send Anakin with them is beyond my comprehension. But they send Obi-Wan alone. And there's that exchange with Obi-Wan and Anakin right before he leaves. And Hayden's really giving this, I'm sorry, I've been an asshole. I'm sorry, man. And he's Obi-Wan kind of gives him this, you're going to be a great master. Like, I love you, man. And he's like, I'll see you soon. And that's the last time they ever talk as really brothers. And that's pretty brutal. When you know what's going to happen and the next time they're facing each other, Obi-Wan has to go kill him. And just that, ugh, it just gets me. Especially his last line to him when he says, goodbye, old friend. Oh my God, rip my heart out of my ass. Yeah, I wonder about that scene. Like, if there was any, like, if that, like, kind of got Anakin at all because he was so frustrated with, he was always frustrated with the level he was at, thinking the Jedi were keeping secrets from him or holding him back. And Obi-Wan was like, well, you've already become far greater than a Jedi than I could ever hope to be. And if at that point, Anakin's like, is this really all it is? Like, I can't save Padme now. Like, is this all I can get as a Jedi? I never thought about it in that way. That's really interesting yeah. because maybe he goes, well, Obi-Wan's an alpha here. He's one of the most yeah. powerful Jedis, and I'm already better than him. And, you know, I think... Yoda and Mace are probably more powerful than, you know, Obi-Wan, but they still trust Obi-Wan so much, and they send him to kill Grievous alone, which is really interesting because I don't know why he wouldn't just send Anakin and Obi-Wan seem to do every mission together, and it's they're a duo. And to send... Because Anakin's not doing anything when he's home. It's not like he has powerful, you know, duties to do. Uh, It's interesting. Perfectly kept him home just to get seduced by the dark side. Yeah, because what the he need to do what the fuck is he doing on Coruscant? You know, he's just yeah. dicking around. Yeah, and he tells him he's like, "You're gonna need me," and Obi Wan's like, "No, we need you." I can't remember why he tells him I need you here, I but yeah, I don't know if they just want him to keep spying on Palpatine or what's going on, but it's just so fucking stupid. Yeah. So this is a question that's been burning a hole in my pocket since we decided yeah. we wanted to do this. Does this movie make up for Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones? Fucking sucking so bad. Is it worth? Is the payoff of three worth the pain of one and two? Um, I don't think it makes up for how bad those two were because those are what is always going to drag the prequels down in the collective conscious. But I think the Clone Wars animated show really helps to remediate a lot of those problems. The problem is it's a cartoon and 
only the most diehard people really have time or care to watch it or really know what it is. If you're still listening um, to this podcast, please go watch Clone Wars Animated Series. Ryan got me in on it. And the first season's kind of kitty, but then they realize it's just people like me and Ryan consuming this. And it becomes very awesome. Sorry to interrupt, but you should, everyone should go watch it. Yeah, it, it, does a, it adds a ton of world building, but it adds a ton of excellent writing and, and explains more in depth. Like it, it depicts Anakin's struggles with the light and the dark a lot better than just, oh, he went from Jedi, like good Je- Jedi on the rise to all of a sudden his wife was going to die, so he became a Sith. Like it's, it really make, it makes it more intricate and it, it just, I can't, I can't, I could do a whole podcast about it, but it just, <laughs> it, it just really does the prequels a lot of justice, or, or at least that prequel era. Yeah, and it adds so many more cool characters, and you actually leave it enjoying Padme and Anakin. You understand that their their relationship's kind of tumultuous, and there's a lot of layers going on, and you can understand what, you know, Anakin and his um, Padme, or not Pad- Padawan, um... Yeah, Ahsoka. Yeah, Ahsoka. Great character. I want Ahsoka to have her own spinoff so bad. Apparently she's going to be in The Mandalorian, dude, in season two. Holy shit, no way. Yeah. But yeah, that's like another great thing about it. Like, it, it shows, like, how he became disillusioned with the council when they, like, kicked her out of the order for falsely, falsely accusing her and not believing that she didn't, like, try to blow up the temple like she got framed for and it shows him start to distrust the, the council and become disillusioned with them and, and the pain of the loss of Ahsoka walking out of his life when she's kicked out of the order. That's really good. So are you so basically let me your contention being that the animated series kinda saves the first two for you. Yeah, I mean I mean, I guess not the movies. The movies are always gonna be bad, but just the the prequel era in general, like the old republic leading up to the to the establishment of the empire like it, it really saves that uh era of star wars in my mind which is always going to be my favorite because that's what i i grew up on as a kid i think it's i i want them to kind of be done with the old republic and just that kind of um area unless they go way earlier you know than when we're introduced i'd be cool with going like Give me pre Phantom Menace and build up to it. I could get behind that, but I feel like I have so much trust in John Favreau and kind of his vision for this. Look what he did with you know Iron Man and kind of helping build the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That I have a lot of faith as him as kind of the creative overseer of all these projects. That I'm really excited for, especially with them getting in a series, which I think is a smart move. Yeah, I definitely think the future is in TV versus film. I don't know if they'll see it that way because film is how they make so much money, but it's just so much easier to tell a deep, beautiful story through a TV series. You get so much more screen time. And yeah, I'm all on board with the Favreau and Dave Filoni pairing going into the future as like the Kevin, the Kevin Feige, however you pronounce his last name. Yeah, Kevin Feige. Of, yeah, of the, of Star Wars because they're so, they're, so knowledgeable about the universe but they're also such great creatives and Favreau's such a great director and so I would just I would love that if they were officially tapped as the as the creative leads going forward 
Yeah, I'm a huge Favreau stan, and I really support everything he's done with The Mandalorian and the people he's choosing to build these other series around, and I think he's doing a really great job. Um, favorite and least favorite character. I think we can make this... Let's not make it overarching prequels because I think our least character... It'd be easy to just throw out Jar Jar, even though he makes a brief cameo in Revenge of the Sith. So for just keep it in a bubble of just this movie, who, what are your favorite and least favorite performances? I can't, I can't say Obi-Wan, Ewan McGregor, because that's too easy. So I'm going to go Ian McDermott as, as Papa Palps. He, he's such a great actor, and just the, he's so masterfully show like, the whole, like, like we said, you know the entire time from The Phantom Menace that he's the emperor, that he's pulling the strings in the background, but he does it so masterfully that, like, you you really can't tell while he's like acting with Mace or with Yoda or or speaking to the Senate like until it happens like you're always like you he just he just kills it he just does so well and it's so cool that he was chosen as the Emperor for Return of the Jedi and was the perfect age to to play him in the prequels like it just worked out so well and and his performance in Revenge of the Sith was just unmatched in my opinion. So then, least favorite. I think it's a two. Uh, I think it's a two horse race here, but I'm interested to see what you think. I can't. I, I, I don't know. I'd say probably Padme. I mean, Natalie Portman's a good actress, like you said, but her her dialogue was so bad. I would and like she, she didn't really serve serve much of a purpose. She was just a huge plot device, you know. So if if not Padme, I would say maybe George Lucas. Just wait. Terrible writing. But... <laughs> I, I I like that a ton. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's where I'm at for that. Padme does have a Padme does have that great line of "This is how democracy dies with thunderous applause." I love that line, and I quote that all the time. But well, a little cheesy, but I guess we can we can we can see that in the real world as well. I'm I I'm such an Obi Ewan McGregor. Him getting the Obi Wan spinoff series, it's. It's what we all, all our Star Wars stands. I know how excited me and you were talking about it when he finally announced that he was going to, you know, dust off the cloak and put it back on. I was, yeah. I'm such an Ewan McGregor's role as Obi-Wan fan that it's, you said it's easy. It's, it's easy for a reason. He's amazing. Dude, when I heard people try to say that, like, I heard, I saw, like, rumors that, like, Chris Pratt was going to, like, no, 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 say, no. I know. I, I'm a Chris Pratt stan. People on the podcast know I've mentioned him in three or four podcasts, but oh, yeah. he is. That's not the tone. That's yeah. just not the fucking tone of the. It's not hey leading action guy with some humor interjected. No, you need a great actor, and Ewan McGregor can do other shit. And yeah. it's just so fucking cool, and I'm so excited to see what they're gonna do with that. And for my least favorite, I still Hayden Christensen and. Natalie Portman, when they're on screen together, just it's my least favorite shit of all time. And I totally agree with Natalie being just a plot device, which I guess, do you think that's, do you think this is movies woke or broke? But I don't even think you can really do woke or broke with this because it's just a Star Wars movie. And I feel like those are, there's nothing that's really aged terribly other than kind of the lack of galactic diversity, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like if you throw it back to the Phantom Menace, just how like the 
the Gungans are like forced to live underwater, like separate from society and not given voting power until the end of episode one. But we're talking about Revenge of the Sith, and yeah, there's nothing real aside from the lack of diversity, nothing real woke or broke about it, I guess. And nothing like no strong female character. I mean, Natalie Portman's supposed to be. You, she writes she's a plot device, but they're trying a little bit to be. She's so powerful. She's this influential senator. She can kind of bear her influence, but they never show any of that. You never see her coming. They never show her in a meeting room just kind of controlling it, which I think if you add one or two scenes each movie of her really just bringing the heat as a politician, almost a la House of, early House of Cards, you know, I think that could have added so much to the story. For sure, like, especially because, like, she was obviously such a huge influence that, like, Palpatine wanted her dead and and Attack of the Clones, and ever since then, because she was leading the movement against the creation of the clone army. Like, I don't get, like, yeah, a couple scenes of her just, like, like, forcefully pushing back against his authoritarian, like, power structure, especially as, like, someone who, like, was her mentor, like, as growing up trying to become like get her way into politics like i thought that would have been really cool and she was underserved without that if you could recast anakin and i'm not saying you have to choose someone that was around in 2002 and 2005 they don't have to be the right age but who are you throwing into that who would you love to see it and you you have to remember that they're also going to say it's really shitty dialogue but maybe they can find a way to say it better that like aren't that memorable it's like I feel like anyone could do it but and this is probably a cop out but I, I would love to see like prime Adam Driver that was my answer movie. that's what I had written like, I said that one's like so easy but like it would have been like that's the first thing that comes to mind like I just said plug in Adam like, Driver he can play the romance way better he's such a good actor it, I think prime yeah. Adam Driver would be fucking perfect also interesting maybe Chris Prime. Chris Pine. Give me prime Chris Pine. Yeah, I could see that. But yeah, with Adam Driver, like, I don't know. I feel like he's too good for the sequels and he's too good for Kylo. But like, like prime Anakin would have been a nice niche for him. You know, everybody's got to have one blockbuster thing on their resume. And imagine how cool it would be to be asked to be a part of a Star Wars. I mean... Obviously, it'd be great to get fucking Leonardo DiCaprio as Anakin, but he would never be stupid enough. He only works with great directors, not fucking George Lucas. Yeah. Because I was thinking, like, imagine young Brad Pitt. Not Brad Pitt old, not Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but give me late 80s Brad Pitt in there. I think we could do some damage. I I, I could get down for that, for sure. Or... Even more interesting, I don't know what you think of this, but do you think like someone, someone like Ryan Gosling, do you think they could pull off? Yeah, that's more of a role. You need the role. I'm trying to think of people I want for to make the romance better. Is where I my head is, because the action yeah. shit they'll figure out. But I think that was the big, like one of the biggest problems with the movie and with the prequels. Like, I get that that was the like the driving force of his turn to the dark side, but. I just think it could have been done in a better way than just like, oh, like Padme's gonna die, like I have to, I have to turn to the dark side. Like I know it's more intricate than that, but I think they could have found a better way to do it where they didn't quite need so much romance. But oh. Yeah, 
I think Adam Driver could have could have done both sides of it very well. Yeah, let's throw Adam Driver in there. See what the, see what happens for for a rewrite. This is I'm really interested to see what you would rewrite about Revenge of the Sith. I know you've I know you've probably thought about this and have notebooks full of information. So let's hear it. So the, I I took it as rewrite of the prequels. That's not fine. Just Revenge of the Sith. To, no to, no to yeah change. rewrite the rewrite the prequels yeah. rewrite the prequels. So one thing I've often thought about is Christopher Lee as just generic villain number two is just such garbage. Like, it's such a disservice to an actor and a a man of his caliber. So I've always thought it'd be cool, because he's just thrown in there as Dooku, like, oh, we have a new Sith, and it's this guy. I thought it'd be so cool if, like, and this is the problem with the prequels, like, George didn't plan it out super well ahead of time, and he he was really rushing before filming to get the the scripts finalized, so he didn't have a lot of time to plan things. But, like, so Dooku was Qui-Gon's master, Conceivably, he's still a Jedi in The Phantom Menace, or he's in his final days as a Jedi before he leaves the Order. Uh, like, introduce him in The Phantom Menace as, like, this wise old, like, mentor to Qui-Gon, who, who is, like, the, at that time, the pinnacle of, like, wow, like, he's even, he's Obi-Wan Kenobi's master. So, like, just introduce him as this, like, really mystical, like, really respectable, like, respectable Jedi. And then, like, in the beginning of Attack of the Clones, like, you, everything goes as, as it did, but then, like, you, you realize, they talk about early and often that, like, Dooku's gone missing, they don't, like, know, they haven't heard from him in so long, they don't know what happened to him, and then slowly reveal and piece together that he's, like, kind of pulling the strings behind the Confederacy, behind the Separatists, and then it's revealed, like, at the end of the movie that he is the villain, and it, and the guy that's been, like, leading the the revolt the rebellion of all these systems from the republic i think that would have been really powerful and would have made his character a lot more impactful especially for someone of his caliber i I think that could have had a lot of great implications for revenge of the sith because it would have made his death at the hands of anakin like so much more powerful like because Anakin looked up to Qui-Gon so much, like Qui-Gon's the guy who took him out of slavery and gave him a chance when no one else would, when he was just basically a little slave boy and everyone looked at him as trash. Then, like, you give... And then thinking, like, if Qui-Gon had, like, told him stories of his master and, like, just in his mind how awesome Dooku must have been, and then, like, you give him that opportunity at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith to execute him, like, I I think that would have been a huge like a hugely impactful like character development for Anakin. I think they it's waste a hugely impactful decision. I think they waste way too much time trying to make the political aspect of this super complex. Um, I don't think it needs to be that complex. I think it should just be some people are trying to get rid of I, I they just dive way too much into especially in the Phantom Menace. It's so weird and complex and there's not a lot explained yeah. and I would get rid of a lot of the political shit and make it way more simplistic in that terms of, hey, the Republic's kind of becoming corrupt. Some people think it's too corrupt and they're trying to form their own shit. We're trying to keep them in. That's as basically as complicated as it needs to be. And yeah, You don't need to hear about Gungan trade routes and, yeah. and hyperspace lanes. No, I don't need fucking trade. I don't need the trade dispute aspect of anything. And I think yeah. if you get rid of that and use... there's There could be ways to... They're so... They're so lazy in certain terms of they don't use flashbacks or anything really. And I think there could have been such clever use of 
non-linear storytelling in the prequels that would have helped so much because we're jumping forward so much and missing big chunks of Anakin's development and his relationship with Obi-Wan that I think kind of non-linear storytelling would have helped cover a lot of these gaps, I think. Yeah, and I think that's where the Clone Wars is really important, but obviously it's like peripheral media that hardly anyone's going to see, so that's a huge problem. But yeah, they... I think that was that's been a problem in the prequels and the sequels of just like very like sticking to sticking to very uncon like very conventional methods and not like thinking outside the box in terms of storytelling. Which I think that's why we both I think Rogue One's my favorite Star Wars movie since Empire Strikes Back. And I don't know if you feel the same, but I think Rogue One was so cool because there was a lot of there was conventional shit that's gonna be in a Star Wars movie. But then it wasn't in a lot of ways and they kind of broke through and it was such a good movie and I don't know I think there's cool ways to do it and tell new stories yeah and that's what I loved about Rogue One because it was different like the heroes didn't just like like in every Star Wars movie it's like the heroes are outnumbered by 10,000 to 1 but they just band together because they're great friends and they somehow come out victorious like that's what I loved about Rogue One is like it was it was real like these people like saw something bigger than themselves and they knew they were going to pay the ultimate price for it but they want, but they knew it was more important than their individual lives and they sacrificed themselves and like they didn't get on an escape pod right at the end and, and make it out and then go retire somewhere like they understood they understood the price they're going to have to pay and they and they paid that price it makes you feel like they're actual fucking rebellions who like rebels who are trying to, who are so invested in rebellion that their lives don't matter, it's for the bigger purpose. Which I think the original trilogy doesn't really show how invested, for Han Solo just kind of joins because he's not doing anything. And Leia seems the most invested and Luke's, I want to join the rebellion at the beginning, but it's he's just trying to kind of get with the princess and I don't know, there's no this, in... Rogue One, you get such a, I'm a rebel, that's my mindset, fuck everything, like, I'm willing to give everything. Where friendship takes precedent over the end goal for Luke in the original trilogy, which is problematic. Because if you are actually only one-tracked mind as rebels, you don't, he would have let them die and kept training with Yoda and the Empire Strikes Back. Instead of going there and sacrificing the entire movement for two people, you know? Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, Rogue One is just, it puts it all in perspective. Like, it feels like like an actual galactic war. Yeah. Whereas, like, the Rise of Skywalker, it's like, there's all of a sudden a fleet that, like, is ten times greater than even the First Order. And then these friends get their friends and they band together and, oh, they win. It's like the the scale just doesn't make any sense, and the from the point of view it's told wrong, and that's what makes the the Rogue One so much more effective and more interesting. I think I'm just gonna do. I gotta we gotta talk about sequels for one second because <laughs> Last Jedi is so terrible we hate it. I don't even want to talk about it. Um, shout out Max Boyum, someone who actually likes it and thinks it's the best Star Wars. I Rise of Skywalker. J.J. Abrams just tried to fit way too much in there. It's kind of annoying. And I totally agree with you that the future of Star Wars should be series because then 
there's so much development and then it gives people a reason to keep subscribing to Disney Plus, which you can make just as much money through subscriptions. If when the Mandalorian came out, everyone was watching it. It became a national phenomenon and because people don't want FOMO, you know, and they knew it was great. Yeah. Yeah. I especially I feel like Game of Thrones is the first like huge like T V series to like capture like that massive nationwide audience and really show you like, especially for a fantasy can... especially for a fantasy yeah kind of yeah, genre yeah, yeah definitely and really show you what can be done with like 10 really well written like hour long episodes obviously the last two seasons weren't as great but like that's a that is the yeah. understatement of the pod my friend <laughs> like like you're the sequels try to begin and end a massive galactic wide war in three movies which is like less than nine hours of, of film and it, in one season of a tv show you get like 10 hours to really flesh out the characters and flesh out the world building and so that's where i would like to put my money in the future at least yeah i completely agree i guess we're kind of in final thoughts but just keep checking out any thoughts you have about star wars in general uh, anything on your mind the the two final thoughts I've already kind of talked about, but I'm I'm really pleased with this discussion and all the all the different points we hit. I didn't think we we'd talk about it as much as we did. I know I feel really good. I feel like the the thing that's weird about this movie, which we I guess we even talked about Padme's death, how weird it is when the doc they're in the fucking future with the best medicine. Yoda and them are she seem like they're surprised she's pregnant, which is weird. Because she looks pregnant. And then it's for some reasons we don't know. She's di- She just dies of a broken heart. I don't know what George Lucas was really going for there. Like poetry. But it was pretty brutal and terrible way to kill off yeah. a character. I think the... So I feel like George Lucas is way more interested in like cool subtleties in his like visuals and in his filmmaking versus like actually writing a good story because the visuals of Anakin being assembled as Vader on the on the table and Pad like and then cutting to Padme like in in a completely white room in white dress and Vader's in black room and a dark, black dress in a dark room so the Cutting back and forth to that is really cool, and then when Padme like takes her final breath, I think is when Vader like is lifted and his helmet's on. He rises as Vader for the first time, and so that's super cool. But like, I feel like George spent like three months on just thinking about that sequence versus like, oh, how do we actually want Padme to like be like die? Like, what's actually going to cause it? And then he got to that point and told me he's just like. Oh yeah, I think she's just kind of sad. <laughs> I get, I get a huge kick out of that video we used to watch of the fake George Lucas voice. These, they were more, they were more thought poems. They weren't about any semblance of plot or dialogue or traditional filmmaking. Um, that's all I keep thinking about when you were talking. Was it's just a thought poem, guys? You know, it's just not think too much about it because I don't know if you've seen that documentary that's on YouTube. I've watched before about him writing the Phantom Menace. And kind of the back behind the scenes creation of the Phantom Menace. But he's talking about it and he's like, it's kind of a song and a poem and all these beats. And he's talking out of his ass about the plot of it. It's poetry, it rhymes or something. 
Yeah, he's like, every stanza rhymes. And it's like, what the fuck are you taught? Just write some good... Instead of thinking about this bullshit you're thinking about, like you said, six hours of, okay, how are these poems? How do I get this stanza to rhyme with this stanza? Just write some good dialogue or hire... That's why it was good about the original uh, trilogy was, other than Return of the Jedi. He didn't direct them, you know? He was kind of the... He was the thought behind it, but Empire Strikes Back, the best one, was different director, you know? And I think that was... He should always be there to say, hey, this is what Star Wars is. I'm the creative mind. But let put it in someone else's hands, and he should be more in an advisory position than have the keys to the car. Yeah. And, like, I will say, like, all of his, like, little parallels have, like, made for very cool, like, like cut-up videos to, like, show parallels between the movies. But yeah, like, it, it doesn't make... He needs someone at all times to rein in his ambition, I guess I'll say. Oh, nice. Don't choke on your ambition. <laughs> Be careful not to choke on your aspirations, director. Oh, okay, yeah, there we go. I uh, I really enjoyed this. I love that we got to, got to talk about Star Wars for almost an hour. Um, it was really good seeing you, man. Yeah, it's it's good to talk to you, man. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. Yeah. Anything you need? Anything you need to plug? Uh, I don't think so. I don't have a SoundCloud. I just, I just <laughs> got rid of my SoundCloud, and, I, and I'm not ready to reveal my burner Twitter yet. So. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, you and Kayla stay safe during all this stuff, and uh, thanks, man. Thanks for joining me. Appreciate it.